You're listening to The Good GP, the podcast for busy GPs. You're listening to The Good GP. I'm Sean Stevens, and today we're interviewing vascular surgeon and head of Department of Vascular Surgery at Royal Perth Hospital, Patrick Tovanoski. Hi, Patrick, and welcome to The Good GP. Hi, Sean. Thanks for inviting me. Patrick, you've got qualifications from right around the globe, Europe, America, and Australasia. Obviously, you decided to settle in the best area of the best of these continents. Um, Can you tell us a bit about your journey to arrive in Perth, please? Yes, that's true. I'm qualified for over 30 countries in the world. (laughs) Um, But WA is the best, so that's how I ended up here. (laughs) Fair enough. Right answer, right answer. I was trained as a vascular and transplant surgeon in Prague, Czechoslovakia in the 90s. Yep. And then I was practicing as a vascular surgeon and transplant surgeon in there for a few years and busy teaching hospital. But then in early 2000s, I realized that uh, I have to see the world. I have to see what other people do. And I was working in UK. I was working in Queensland and ended up in WA four years ago. Yep. And I think it was a good move because uh, it's a good job, good people and wonderful country. Mm. Excellent. Thank you. Um, So today we're talking about venous and arterial ulcer management. If we can start at a really basic level, what's the difference between the two from an etiological and pathophysiological point of view? Yes. I think um, the rule of the thumb is it's always blockage in in my opinion. If we start with uh, arterial ulcers first, it has to be not one, but multi-level blockages. So for example, if we see a patient with um, arterial ulcer, it's probably not only uh, femoral artery stenosis. It must be a multi-level disease. Usually what we see is patient with diabetes or renal failure with tibial disease and superficial femoral artery stenosis. Um, On the other hand, in venous diseases, it is usually blockage in the vein and uh, in combination with the reflux, like faulty valves, uh, faulty valves in deep or superficial venous system, it makes the case much worse. So it is always some sort of blockage. Mm, okay. <clears throat> so if as GPs we're presented with a lower leg ulcer that we think is arterial, how should we investigate this and when is it appropriate for us to refer on? Yes. I think with um, arterial disease, we don't have much time because we know that there is no oxygen. So we probably should refer as soon as we believe it's arterial. Um, I know that in the literature you can find out that you should try to use a conservative management for a week or two. And if you don't see any progress, then you can refer. But in my opinion, if you think it's arterial, I would refer straight away. Okay. Arterial scan is appropriate and you often do that. You often refer patients for ultrasound, which is which is perfect start. Um but if you don't see any progress within few weeks, I think you shouldn't waste much time. Okay. So arterial is sort of semi urgent then? I think so. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Because on the other hand, uh the venous you have more time in your hands. If you think it's venous, you can try conservative management, including bandages, um, wound dressing, 
and the recommended time is about two to three months. Mm-hmm. So if you don't see any significant progress, you should refer probably to specialists who deals with venous diseases. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem is that not every specialist is uh, sort of interventionalist for venous diseases. So the, the education is, is an issue. But uh, rule of the thumb, arterial disease, refer soon. Venous disease, you can take your time and try to manage conservatively at the beginning. Okay, okay, fair enough. Um, and when you say, um, or well, what can GPs do to perhaps expedite that? What investigations can we do? Um, you know, when is it appropriate to actually pick up the phone and say, can you see this patient today or tomorrow? Um, for the venous disease, you can probably start with the venous insufficiency ultrasound scan. This is this is good start. It's non-invasive. It's relatively cheap, um, and it can give you information about the venous dynamics in the infrainguinal segment. Mm-hmm. What I normally do for venous patients uh, with venous ulcers is I do a CT scan as well, so CT venogram which can give me information about obstruction in the iliac veins or IVC. And even though the CT is not highly sensitive, it can give you surprisingly good information about advanced disease, which ultrasound didn't pick up. Okay. So, all right. So what what would a GP put on a request form? Because it's, it's not something that certainly I have, have yeah. referred for routinely. Yeah. It's a good question. I found when I started to refer patients for CT venogram that the uh, radiology services uh, kept asking, "What do you actually want to see?" Uh, so I describe, uh, you know, on my forms that I'm looking for obstruction. So the request is CT venogram or uh, venous phase of CT angiogram. So the timing is important for the. Mm-hmm for the contrast to be caught in right time, passing through the venous system. But I get good good pictures recently, um, and so we, we have to request CT venogram of pelvic veins and IVC, and looking for obstruction there. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, very good. Um, so in our surgery, we see multiple patients who come in weekly uh, for dressings, um, and there's a lot who um, go through Silver Chain, our local home visiting service. Um, when and how should we be assessing these patients to, um, to forward on to, to vascular surgery? If they... I mean, ultimately, we are responsible as a physicians for the outcome, but most of the time, as you said, uh, home services or Silver Chain doing redressing and the information should come from them so if they're not happy with progress they should contact you or me Mm. and then we should take patient for further investigation and try to improve the circulation if it is arterial or venous Mm. so i think the first information should come from the home services yeah um they should and they do they do request second opinion Mm. and they ask me or you um could you kindly have a look at the patient because I'm not happy with the wound. Yeah. So I think um, the 
initiation of the process comes from nurses now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's good. Um, I certainly know that um, at Royal Perth and now our local secondary hospital, Midland, um, there's this multidisciplinary approach to ulcer management. Um, and is that the way it's heading, do you think? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's good, especially for diabetic patients. Right. Um, as you know, these patients are sick. Yep. They have multi... Uh, um, um, a number of comorbidities and they have they have renal failure they have heart disease so I think that more people uh, should be involved in the care now in terms of looking after the wounds I think those nurses do a better job than doctors I'd agree with that yeah certainly yeah. speaking for myself yeah yeah I think they have more time they sort of they're passionate about it and they do a good job yeah uh, so I think they should be trusted and mm-hmm. they should uh they should have um, in us good partners. Mm-hmm. So I think the multidisciplinary uh, units are a good way to go because you have opinion from infectious disease doctor, diabetologist, renal physicians, vascular surgeons, orthopods, um, and wound nurses. So mm-hmm. so it gives you a chance. It's it's more difficult to get it organized, yeah. but I think the outcome should be better. Yeah, yeah. And I believe there's evidence to support that the outcome Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, good. No, that, that's good to know. Um, can you tell me a little bit about some of the new trends in ulcer management and what some of the options are? Yes. I think the vascular surgery has changed so much in the last 10, 15 years that we see completely different management now. Uh, 15, 20 years ago, we used to do bypass for every arterial patient, basically. Now we rarely do open surgery and mainly... The trend is to do endovascular or keyhole procedure, which is uh, uh, less invasive, and those patients with comorbidities are discharged from hospital much earlier. Mm-hmm. The drawback, and there is always trade-off in, in life with everything, and cool. especially with the endovascular tools, the trouble is that it can be su- uh, successful, it is mini-invasive, so it's good, and it can be ch- even cheaper than bypass. But then it has to be repeated mm. because it doesn't last. So um, the surveillance is important. Yep. Now, what has changed, in my opinion, during the last uh, five, ten years in terms of uh, looking at the arterial disease and ulcerations healing is that we don't have to keep those arteries open for 15 years. Mm. The aim is to get enough oxygen to heal it and then the artery can reclose or reblock again as long as the patient is happy and as long as the wound is healed we don't have to repeat the procedure again mm. it's slightly different in venous diseases what i found that if we remove the obstruction for example by using stent in the venous system we have to keep the stent open mm. because what i found that if stent recloses mm. the ulcer comes back right and it's very quick yeah so it looks like that it's a bit divergent um, and it's slightly different to arterial disease. Yeah. But only time uh, will, will tell us in the future if I'm right with that. Yeah. Okay. So the, how, <coughs> excuse me, how many vascular surgeons these days are doing stents for venous disease? It's, uh, I think, Sean, it's at the beginning. I know um, a few people in Australia who are enthusiastic enough and do that work. Um, uh, I think the 
um, the Venus stenting or Venus obstruction management is more common in the United States than in uh, European centers. Yeah. So it's coming slowly to Australia. So I don't know many uh, yeah. people who uh, routinely do Venus stenting, but it is not as uncommon uh, as we uh, would thought. So, mm. so there are more people. Okay. And and um, how much evidence is there behind that? Have there been, you know, the gold standard double blind controlled studies? Yeah, yeah. There is not much hard evidence. There is good evidence from centers of excellence. Yeah. And we know that we can um, improve circulation in the venous system very effectively. And as a matter of fact, the stenting in the venous system. If, if done well, uh, can be can have a long-term patency better than stents in the arterial system, mm. which is a surprise for many people. Yeah. But then again, there are two or maybe even three different subgroups of people with the venous diseases who uh, would not necessarily have the same results. Yeah. Like people who had DVT or even multiple DVTs in the past would have much worse results than people who have never had any DVT and still have obstruction in the venous system. So again, I think only time will tell us mm. which way to go, but it looks like that uh, the five or seven years results of stenting for non-thrombotic lesions are almost 100%. Right. So that's, that's fantastic. That is. Compared to thrombotic, which is about 60 to 70. Right. So there's a big difference between yeah. those two. Yeah. Okay, yeah, good to know. Um, what about educating the public and the medical profession? Do you think many of our colleagues and patients are aware of these newer options? It's an excellent question. I think we need to educate ourselves first. Yeah. Because um, it's the technology is so fast and the knowledge is um, enormous now, but we just need to talk to each other a bit more. Yeah. And and this is also, you know, for specialists too. Um, specialists, talking to specialists is very good. Because yep. I don't know what uh, other people do all the time. Uh, and we have to educate family practitioners and nurses. And then also patients. And I think what we don't do, we don't use media like television and newspaper. Because yep. this is something that everyone watches every day or yep. reads every day. And I'm sure that most of our patients have no idea now, unfortunately, yeah. that there are options for, for example, management of venous ulcer. Yeah. And I, I can tell you, I did um, a few interviews with uh, my patients from five years ago. And five years ago, they, they, um, uh, they were treated for venous ulcers, which they had for 25 years. Wow. So they did not have any support, really, apart yeah. from... Um, bandaging and wound care and um, they told me look it changed their life mm. just knowing that there is an option yeah 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 it does I mean I guess you know media like this uh, podcast is often a good way to getting out and getting out to the profession and the general public in a, in a wider sense because you know yes as the younger generation comes through and starts to have clots and so forth, they, they're not interested in newspapers. And, yeah, it's more the social media aspect. That's right. And, honestly, I'm not that good with social media. <laughs> so, And that's another thing. You're, you're absolutely right. I think it should be used more often. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah, I think you know even my generation. I'm 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 not that familiar with new technology. Yeah, probably our sons and daughters. <laughs> yeah, yeah, teaching exactly. us. I think. Exactly. Yeah, we learn off them for sure. Yeah, for sure. Well, thanks very much for being part of the Good GP, Patrick. And um, yeah, I look forward to catching up again soon. Thank you. Thank you very much. Bye.